Yes, good evening, good evening, everyone. And here we are, a new chapter of Tanya. Marching onward, marching forward. Okay. Chapter 11. The topic of this chapter is the Russia. So let's get our bearings and then we'll start learning. Chapter 9. Two chapters ago, the Altareb introduced us to the idea that there is tremendous tension, an ongoing battle that is happening within us on a daily basis, minute-to-minute -minute basis, between our two souls, our animal soul and our divine soul. They each want to conquer, to gain control over our body, which is, which is what we call the small city. We're a small city. And the small city has all these... Um, strategic points. There's the eyes, there's a the mouth, there's the mind, there's the emotions, everything, the whole human experience, each soul wants the whole thing. And then the author of said, so now we know there's this battle. How's your battle doing, right? What's the state of your union? What's the state of, what's the state of your battle? Who's winning, who's losing? And the author of is going to share with us three general areas where your battle could be at any given moment. Of course, there's a pretty wide spectrum with tremendous amount of variables, but generally speaking, you can divide, there's three stages where your battle could be. Good evening, Yulia. Nice seeing you today. And nice seeing you again now. Okay, <laughs> good evening, good evening. Last chapter, chapter 10, we learned about one option of what it, of one scenario of what the battle between the animal soul and the divine soul could look like. And that was a very successful stage. We call that the tzaddik. The tzaddik is very successful. He has won the battle. His divine soul has used all of its strength and energy and courage to really win over the animal soul to the point that it eliminated the threat. And anything negative within the animal soul is stripped powerless. And the tzaddik is the person who gets to enjoy a life free of any of the impulses of the weaknesses of the animal soul. That was the tzaddik. Sounds familiar? Sounds a very successful model. The tzaddik. Now, chapter 11, we're going to go to the opposite ex extreme. If chapter 10, if the tzaddik is winning the battle, his godly soul, his divine soul is winning the battle, chapter 11 is the opposite. Chapter 11 is where the divine soul is losing ground, losing traction, losing control. Right, That front line of defense is just getting breached and they can't hold the line. So that's another scenario. And we're going to explore what this other option could look like when the animal soul is winning. And this chapter, this category is called the Russia. Now, before we jump in to learn, I want to make a very, very, very important point. You know, if you, I'm sure you have in your homes, your, your favorite Haggadah. And Haggadahs traditionally, we're talking about you know, hundreds of years, always had illustrations and pictures. And, and we speak about the four sons. And one of the four sons is called the Russia. And generally, loosely translated, what's a Russia? 
colloquially, what's a Russia? Russia usually means somebody who's wicked. So in your Haggadah, what does the Russia look like? <laughs> Probably somebody who looks really mean, vile, <laughs> monstrous, I don't know, malevolent, diabolical, I don't know, you know. <laughs> what does the Russia look like? We usually say, what's a Russia? Russia is somebody who's wicked. You know, wicked, that's it's a talent to actually be a Russia. You know, it's not that simple. Just because you get in a bad mood one day doesn't mean that you're a Russia. Russia means wicked. And I want to disarm you a little bit before we start reading. Whatever imagery, whatever kind of, um, whatever stereotype you have in your head of what a Russia is or isn't or looks like, Let's just tr try to divorce ourselves from that imagery. And we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to get down to a little bit more of a, a more sophisticated understanding of what's a tzaddik, what's a Russian. And here's the important point. And, I, and I wanna, I'm going to repeat this again and again. We don't give definitions based on superficial looks. What makes a tzaddik a tzaddik is not because he or she looks nice and looks holy and acts holy and has a flowing nice white beard. That's not what makes a person a tzaddik. The tzaddik is a very deep internal state. And if you could do an MRI scan of what's happening in the soul and the heart of this person, that's, that's what determines what's a tzaddik. It's not the outsides, it's the inside. It's the same thing about a Russian. What makes somebody a Russian is not going to be what they do. It's not going to be what they look like. It doesn't depend on how sinister he or she is or looks like. It's all about what's going on inside. And let me give you a spoiler, a little bit of a spoiler. The Russia has nothing to do with wickedness or evil or anything like that. Let me tell you right now what the Russia is. A Russia is somebody whose animal soul has been successful in getting an edge over the divine soul. That's a Russia. Any negative connotation that flashes in your mind when you hear the word Russia, try to just get that out of your head. The Russia of the Tanya is simply somebody who is losing grip on their battle. Sounds good? And we'll learn a little bit more about it. And if I could even say so, if I could even be uh, daring enough, I would say that, you know, last chapter, speaking about a tzaddik, we read the chapter. I don't think we're a tzaddik. So the whole chapter doesn't really talk to me. If there's somebody who's very special, very holy, tremendous self-control, a very strong person, that person's a tzaddik. I'm not a tzaddik. Chapter 11 is where we start identifying ourselves in the picture. So let's begin learning with all those introductions. Let us learn about the Russia. You ready? And this morning I sent out the handout. Do y'all have it? You got the email? Okay, wonderful. Either print it out or on your phone. That's wonderful. Okay. Chapter 11, The Russia, Part 1, The Incomplete Russia. And we begin with a quote. I believe this is the third time in Tanya that we have this quote, and it's not even the last. The author of likes this quote a lot. 
God has made one opposite the other. Everything in this world is a counterbalance. Last week, we spoke about the idea there are two types of tzaddiks. You remember that? There's the complete tzaddik and there's the incomplete tzaddik. The complete tzaddik has literally no more evil left within his animal soul. Not even the tiniest, right? Not even a rat here. Remember that? <laughs> not even a rat here's worth of evil. Not even a little bit, not even a minuscule amount of evil is left in that animal soul. The incomplete tzaddik is somebody whose good has successfully overpowered the evil. There still is some of that klipa, some of that negativity in his animal soul, just that it's kind of uh, overpowered and rendered useless, rendered irrelevant. So to the Russia, there are two types of Russia. There's a complete Russia, and then there's the incomplete Russia. He's a Russia, or she's a Russia, but an incomplete one. So let's learn, and we'll get a better understanding. And it's very practical. It's very practical. It's very meaningful. God willing. Let's read. There is a Russia who has it good, or a Russia who has good, which is the incomplete Russia, which is the mirror image of the tzaddik who has bad, the incomplete tzaddik. So we have the incomplete tzaddik, we have the incomplete Russia. What does that mean? What's an incomplete Russia? This is what it means. What that means is that in the incomplete Russia, the good within his divine soul, which is in his brain and in the right ventricle of the heart, is at least to some extent suppressed and overwhelmed by the bad of Kalipa that is in the left ventricle of the heart. So let's try to imagine in terms of a battle. I think this imagery helps. We have an enemy, two enemies, two nemesis, and they're each, they each have a front line, right? They each have their front line of defense, a line of defense. And each one's trying to advance, but they have a line of defense, and they don't want the enemy to breach that line. We all understand that the moment the enemy is able to penetrate that line of defense, that's an emergency. We need backup. Something just went wrong. We are not holding the line. The Russia is somebody whose godly soul is not able to hold the line. So the Russia, does the Russia have an animal soul? Of course. The animal soul is doing very well, or at least a little bit better than the godly soul. Does the Russia have a divine soul? The answer is yes. The Russia has a very healthy divine soul, but it's struggling. It lost some of its power. It's, it's compromised. Its strength is compromised. That is the incomplete Russia. But at the end of the day, there was a breach. There is a breach in the defensive line of this person. Now, the author is going to tell us that this is a very broad spectrum of people. How bad is the breach? Again, let's think about it in terms of, of a battle, of a literal battle. How bad is the breach? How deep is it? How often is the enemy successful in breaching? Uh, how quick are we able to rebound and re-protect our line? Right? So it could be a very mild breach. It could be a very severe breach. 
Same thing is true over here. There's many different variables in, the, in this category of incomplete Russia. There could be somebody who only has a very minor breach and they could very quickly rebound from it. And these breaches happen only very rarely. There's somebody else that uh, the breach is very severe, happening quite often. And they're quite serious um, breaches in their defense and their positions. So let's read. Just as the level of the incomplete tzaddik is subdivided into many sub-levels, where last chapter out there taught us, there's many different types of incomplete tzaddiks, thousands and thousands of different types. So this level two of the incomplete Russia is a very broad spectrum and can also be divided into myriads of different sub-levels, depending on the extent, both quantitatively and qualitatively, that the good is overwhelmed and submitted to the bad, heaven forbid. So we see over here this idea. There's a very broad spectrum of this dynamic. How, how vulnerable, how compromised is the position of the godly soul? Okay. So there are many different variables. The author is going to show us the two extremes. The author is going to give us the most mild case of the incomplete Russia. And then the author is going to show us the most severe case of an incomplete Russia. And once we have those two opposite ends, we can kind of imagine the in-betweens. What we'll see over here is, it's a little bit sobering, a little bit of a reality check. What's a Russian? So you ready? What's the incomplete Russian? Let's begin. The mild incomplete Russian. This is a very mild case. At one extreme, there is a person whose good is submitted and overwhelmed by the bad only very slightly. Okay, his breach is only a minor breach. The animal soul is only breaching and only attacking the control of the godly soul, only minimally, okay? Even then, it's not sustained continuously or at regular frequent intervals. It's just that on rare occasions, the bad dominates over the good and conquers the small city that is the body. The author says like this, health of a Jew is a godly soul that has to contend with an animal soul, but is but he is able to hold on to that line. Health is that the animal soul is never able to breach. That's health. That is a healthy equilibrium that is literally the healthy state of your soul. Whenever there's a breach, that means your godly soul is unhealthy. Something is wrong here. It has lost its power that it should have. The godly soul should be able to keep that line strong. If it's not, even in the most minimal way, something's not healthy here. We have to fix something. So the author says, you know, in the most mild case, what that looks like is a very minimal, minimal breach and only rarely, once a year. Once a year, the animal soul is able to make one little move catch you in one moment of weakness. That's a very mild case. Let's continue reading, and then I'll explain to you a little bit more. Even then, the bad does not fully conquer the entire body. 
Right? We're not talking about a full breach. We're not talking about, right? All hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's not chaos. It conquers only one component of the body, rendering this particular domain obedient to it as its vehicle, allowing the animal soul to invest and manifest within it one of its three garments, which are the expressions of thought, speech, and action. The author says like this. If there's even the slightest chance for the animal soul to flex itself in your life in a way that the godly soul has lost control, that is not healthy. Which is a very empowering thought. Our godly souls are very powerful. If everything is good, if everything is healthy, if everything is in check, it should be able to have complete control and never lose that control, even for one moment, even in the slightest, smallest area. If, this, if your animal soul is able to breach your godly soul's control for even one moment, even once a year, not a big deal, once a decade, I don't know, once a lifetime, that means something is unhealthy. And that state of unhealthiness is called a Russian. That's a diagnostic term. On the one hand, you could say, but it's just a small little thing. It's such a minor breach. <laughs> it's only in one part of the body. It happens so rarely. What's the big deal? And the answer is, you're right. It's pretty mild. It's pretty minor. But the fact is, there's something unhealthy here. What's a little example? You know, we all know the sound when you're driving your car, and all of a sudden you hear a little kvetch, a little kvetch from your engine, <laughs> or a little kvetch from your brakes, a little crank. And you know, you know that it's time to go see a mechanic. But it's not a very bad sound. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Your car is not under that much distress. No lights, it's a small. Okay, maybe it's not a very big deal. Maybe maybe a car could survive for another 12 months before even going to need to see the mechanic. But the fact is something's wrong. <laughs> the fact is this is not what a car is meant to sound like. The fact is something is loose. So we're not, we're not saying that it's the biggest mechanical failure. We're not saying that this is dangerous. But the fact is it's unhealthy. Same thing with the body. There's all different ailments. There's all different types of sicknesses. And from the most mild issues, from the most mild sicknesses to, God forbid, very, very severe ones. And even if you're only suffering from a mild thing, you know, if you have a little cold, I don't know, you have a little of this, one of your muscles aren't working well, it's not a big deal. You could recover easily, but the fact is, health is compromised. You're not healthy. A healthy body shouldn't have to feel this. And that's what we're saying over here. Russia is simply the title, is the term, how we describe this godly soul needs help. This godly soul lost some of its natural strength that it should have. How much did it lose it? I don't know. It depends on the case. But the fact is there was a breach. And a breach is not natural. A breach means something was lost. Something was compromised here. So let's get back. 
In this mild case of the incomplete tzaddik, it happens very infrequently. Um, it's only a very, very slight, uh, it's only a very, very slight compromising situation. Or it's only a very slight breach. And it's only in one small little area of the body. It's not like there's a whole attack on the whole body. One small little area. What's an example of this? Alta will give us four different examples. You ready? So what's an example of somebody who never loses control besides this one little thing once a year or once a decade? <laughs> right? It's, we're not talking about massive issues over here. Let's talk about it. That expression, right? That one little expression, that one little breach of the animal soul where the animal soul gets its chance to express itself in your body. What does that look like? It could be, here's one. Number one, could be in the realm of physical action alone to do a light sin or light sins, not serious ones, God forbid. So imagine a Jew who is in such control of themselves, such a strong soul, that their godly soul is in full control. But once a year, once a year, in a moment of weakness, their godly soul loses that control for only 10 seconds. And in the slightest thing, not a big deal, right? A very, very slight little losing of control. That's what we're talking about. So it can be in the area of deed. He does something or she does something which loses and gives control to the animal soul. Or let's continue. It could be in the realm of speech alone. He doesn't do anything. It's only speech. For example, he utters something that borders on harmful gossip or mockery or something similar. He doesn't literally say gossip. You know, blatant gossip. That he doesn't do. But it's borderline gossip <laughs> or borderline mocking, which are prohibitions in the Torah. But that's it. Such a minor little thing. Or it can be in the realm of thought alone. This is a guy who never think about doing something wrong but he will fantasize about it. He'll imagine it. He will enjoy the pleasure of simply romanticizing, fantasizing about the thought of doing it, theoretically. He would never actually do it, but he'll think about it. Such as, such as thoughts of sin, think of sin, which are in some ways, in fact, more harmful than the sin itself. The Talmud says, don't think that thought is cheap. Now, if you go and he thought about robbing a bank, according to the court of law, it doesn't make a difference. You thought of robbing a bank? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> if you didn't actually rob it, there's no, no, no harm done. And the same thing, if you thought about giving charity. I really thought about it. I just wanted to know. I get some credit. I really thought about it. Did you give it? No? Okay. <laughs> so I'm sorry. The thought doesn't, doesn't do much. But the Talmud says, on, on a spiritual level, thought is a lot. And sometimes, in fact, thought is, is, could do more harm than actions that you do. So the Talmud says, sometimes committing a sin does, is one type of blemish, causes one type of damage to your spiritual psyche. And then sometimes thinking about it, and allowing that thought to just settle in your brain is even more damaging sometimes. And the example of that is the difference between soiling, you know, a pair of jeans 
versus soiling a silk garment. Right? I, I happen to own a silk garment because in the Chabad tradition, on Shabbos and holidays, our Shabbos called the Kapata is made out of silk, 100% silk. It's it's a what's it called? It's called the Prince uh, Prince, in Prince Albert. Prince Albert, thank you. It's a Prince Albert suit. And it's basically a tuxedo. It's like what the conductors wear. Just in Chabad, we don't we don't cut open the front. So it's 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 fully closed in the front, but it's the exact same cut as the conductor's uh, as a conductor suit. Um, and it's 100 percent silk, and I know that it gets uh, it's a little bit dirty. There's no hope of getting it out. Silk is so so sensitive. So on the one hand, when you do something wrong, you did something wrong. It seems like it's a lot more damaging. You know, you thought about it. What's thought worth? But on a spiritual level, the the the, the mind, the brain, is like it's so it's so delicate, it's so sensitive. So Talmud says thoughts of sin could sometimes be even more damaging than doing the sin itself. So it, this could be a perfect guy, never loses control, but once a year he'll let himself, in a moment of weakness, spend thirty seconds thinking about the act of doing a sin, doing something inappropriate. That's it. Okay. He lost control. That's a Russia. Okay, but it goes even further. <laughs> we could dig this even further. <clears throat> and even if he doesn't think about actually committing the sin, it could even be a case that he doesn't even himself think about doing it. Let me just close this over here. All right. I don't know where the button is. All right, that's fine. And even if he doesn't think about actually committing the sin, he doesn't even think about himself doing it, but merely fantasizes about the sexual union of a male and female. Even this would render him a Russia. So forget about the idea of thinking about myself doing a sin. Let's say it's totally theoretical. I'm just thinking about something. Something inappropriate, something sinful, something inappropriate for my soul. But it's not about me. I never thought about me doing it. I wouldn't even have that thought. But you merely thought about it, that's already a sin. And that already makes you a Russian. For he thereby transgresses the warning of our Torah. There's a verse in the Torah that says, guard yourself from anything bad. And the Talmud asks, what's the verse referring to? What's anything bad? And the Talmud explains don't think about sexual thoughts during the day so you won't come to impurity at night. The Talmud learns that the Torah, scriptural commandment here, to keep your mind clean and appropriate. And you could say, well, what's the big deal? I'm just thinking. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything wrong. No, there's an idea. Keep the mind clean. Even the thought is a sin. So, even somebody who has this tiny little compromise, this tiny little breach, so rarely, and it's only one small little area of his life, it's already a problem. You've lost control. Okay, top of page 101, last example, which is perhaps the most, uh, the hardest example. Or it could be that it's a good time for learning Torah. When's not a good time to learn Torah? <laughs> practically speaking, the mitzvah to study Torah is 24-7. You are, a Jew is never not obligated to learn Torah. 
But reality is that we need to sleep, we need to eat, we need to provide for ourselves. We need to provide for our families. The Torah wants us to provide for our families and to work. Okay? So you work what you need to work. So if you have to work nine to five, work nine to five. What about from six to nine? What about from five to 10? <laughs> you've got time in the morning, you've got time in the evening, you've got time at lunch break. You have a mitzvah to study Torah. And even more than that, the Torah says that once you become a little bit successful and your financial means are a little bit better, then you don't just keep on working the same schedule. Instead of working from nine to five, work from 10 to four. Because you could afford that. And your extra two hours dedicate to study Torah. And if you're even more successful, 11 to 3. Now you have even more time to study in the morning and the evening. So there's a mitzvah to study. There's an obligation upon every Jew to study Torah in every free moment they have. So let's say you have a good time to study Torah. You have no valid excuses, <laughs> even very good reasons to not be studying Torah. But instead... He wastes it by thinking empty thoughts. Instead, you say, eh, I'll just go watch TV. Okay, that's already losing control. That's a sin. And a sin means that your animal soul has just got control. Even that means you've just lost, you've just lost that defensive line. The animal soul just penetrated. As the Mishnah teaches in Avot, in the ethics of our fathers, someone who stays up at night and turns his heart to empty things takes responsibility for his very life. Okay. We just had four examples of things that we would look at and say, these are no big deals. You do this once a year for 30 seconds, and that's it? And the rest of your entire conscious life you are Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. <laughs> You're amazing. You're literally amazing. This is such a high level. I'm not like this. This is way beyond me. 364 days of the year, you're perfect. 364 days of the year, you are in such self-control. One day a year, and only for 30 seconds, you lose control. You're a Russia. So you could look at this and say... The tiny is not being fear. The tiny is being too hard on us. And you can even say, I give up. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to hear that I'm a Russia. So listen, it's, um, we have to remember, the tiny is not here to condemn us. This chapter is not a condemnation. This chapter is not here to get us down and to kind of berate us and dig into us that we're a bad person. The Tanya is simply here to be very honest with us and help us understand who we are, diagnose our current spiritual state. And the goal is not to focus on what we're doing wrong. The goal is okay, we could be doing better. We should know that we have the potential of strength. We don't have to be weak. We don't have to be giving into our weaknesses. The godly soul is naturally very strong, has tremendous strength. Sometimes we think we're weak. 
The altar is saying, no, even the slightest weakness is a problem. It's unhealthy. And there's a path to health. We could repair this front line. We could build up your godly soul. You have tremendous potential. So we're not here to put you down and say you're a Russia. And now we kind of put all these titles on you with stigma. It's the opposite. This is, in a certain way, it's very non-judgmental. We're simply here to study. Let's diagnose it. It's like that we could treat it. It's like when, you know, a good doctor, the number one rule of bedside manners of a doctor is that you never, ever, the patient should never feel personal blame or judgment for their physical ailment. Because then they won't trust a doctor. A good doctor is somebody that you could trust because he's here to help you. He's not here to judge you. He's not here to stigmatize you. Right, Joel? Am I right? That's a good doctor. Right? A good doctor. And the author is very much like that. The whole tone of Tanya is very non-judgmental. We're not here to just berate you for your, for your wrongdoings. It's, it's very goal-oriented. Let's be very honest. A lot of integrity about where we are. And we should identify where we are. And then the Tanya is going to teach us the tools of, of, of working and getting better and getting stronger. And hopefully tomorrow can be a better version of ourselves, better than we were today. And it's not an overnight change. It's weeks and months and years, but slowly, incrementally, we can become better people. So, you know, but what's clear here, just to point out the elephant to the room, I don't want to talk about you. I'll talk about myself. Am I a Russia? Yeah. According to Tanya, I know that I have moments, you know, if only it was only once a year. If it was only once a year, I'd be in great, great shape. It's a little bit more often than once a year. I don't have to totally, you know, expose myself in public over here, but a little bit more than once a year. It's okay. But let's be honest. A Russia means we have work to do. A Russia means that our godly soul needs some support. No problem. We'll get there. We'll do it. So the author of it says, let's read. With any one of these instances or anything similar, where there's even one small minor breach, this person is called a Russia at that instant, which means at least for that time. For the act of sin demonstrates that the bad in his animal soul has dominated the good of the divine soul and has invested itself in his body, causing it to sin and become impure. You see, it's not the sin that makes you the Russian. The sin is only the symptom. But the sin tells us something. The sin tells us our godly soul is weak. Maybe it's only a little bit weak. It's a very internal state. So here's my question for you. Imagine somebody, he doesn't sin once a year. Last time he did a sin was 364 days ago. Quite a feat, no? He doesn't know it yet, but tomorrow he's, is going to be his day. He's going to lose, just the right buttons are going to be pushed tomorrow, and he's going to lose control for 10 seconds. He's going to lose his temper, he's going to lose his cool, whatever. His animal soul is gaining control tomorrow. 
but he just had 364 days clean. Is he a Russia all those days? Or is he a Tzaddik those days? Or Benini those days? Which we don't even know what Benini means yet, but is he a Russia? Or are you only the Russia the day that you committed the sin? What do you say? Okay, what would he be during those days of in between? Of is he still a Russia? Yeah. Is he only the Russia the day that he does a sin? At the moment that he sins? Or even in between? I'd say, well, maybe I'm totally wrong. Benini. But, Benini on all those days. Yes. You're saying because those days he's good. Well, tug. I, I'm thinking of the tug between the good and the bad. But maybe I'm misunderstanding. Well, that, that on the days in between, the days that you're healthy, you're healthy. Right. You that one day, once a year. What do you say, Leah? I say he's still a Rashi. Leah says even all those days <laughs> in between, hundreds of days, he's still a Rashi. Why? Well, obviously, he still has that in his being. Oh, that's the question. Is, it, is there a possibility for you to do this? Even if you won't be doing it for another 500 days, but in your hearts of hearts, and of course, I cannot judge you. You don't, you don't know what's happening in my heart. I don't know what's happening in your heart. So this is very personal, very theoretical. But in your heart, is it possible? Is there a possibility that you will do this? If it's even a slight possibility, that's the problem. That's the state of being a Russian. When you actually sin, that proves that you've always had that weakness or that you currently have that weakness. But that's the stage of Russia. The state of a Russia, somebody whose godly soul is in some way, some area unhealthy, lacking its natural strength that it should have. So once again, we move all stigma. We move any imagery and stereotype and uh, concept of what a Russia is. According to this, a very deep and sophisticated definition of a Russia, it is simply somebody who, what makes the Russia is that there could be any breach in that line of defense that the godly soul should have. And if there's any breach, that means it's a little bit unhealthy. Its health is compromised. That's a Russia. Even if it only happens once a year, once a decade, doesn't matter. That's unhealthy. That's unnatural. There's one more step here in talking about the incomplete tzaddik, which is part of the cycle of the incomplete tzaddik. Sorry, the incomplete Russia. I apologize. Part of the cycle of the incomplete Russia is that he will lapse, right? Once a year, once a month, once a decade, even if it's totally infrequent. It's a sign of a lack of health. But part of that cycle is that there's right away some guilt and remorse. Jewish guilt. Jewish guilt is Jewish. The Tanya validates Jewish guilt. Or in other words, what happens? The animal soul breaches the godly soul. And the animal soul successfully takes over the body or one part of the body for at least one moment and does something not good. What follows is the godly soul saying, oh no, that's horrible. The conscience, the guilt, the remorse. What did we just do? Why did I do that? And that's part of the cycle. 
So let's read that. Recovery of the divine soul. Afterwards, the good within his divine soul dominates. And he will regret what he did. And he'll ask God to forgive and pardon him. And God will forgive him, provided that he returns to God with a proper tshuva. As prescribed by our sages of blessed memory in the three categories of atonement that Rabbi Yishmael taught, as explained elsewhere. Okay. The altar of it validates guilt. I'll talk a little bit more about it soon. But there we see the two souls, the struggle. The animal soul pushes and succeeds in gaining control for 30 seconds. And then the godly soul feels horrible. And that's where the guilt and remorse comes from. So the remorse is part of the cycle. The conscience is of the godly soul. Okay. There we have, we have our model here of the, of a very, very mild case of the incomplete Russia. He's a Russia, <laughs> but boy, oh boy, is he pretty well off, right? Only once a year does he have a small little Russia going on over there. But that's already a Russia. If you even have the possibility of losing control, that's a Russia. That's the definition. Now let's go to the other extreme. Now let's go to a very severe, incomplete Russia. We're on the bottom of page 101. Up until this point, we have been discussing a very mild, incomplete Russia who sins only minimally and occasionally. Now we turn to the other end of the spectrum, to a more severe version of the incomplete Russia. Okay, here's the opposite. Here's somebody who's in big trouble. Then there's a person whose bad dominates further, <laughs> much further. This guy's animal soul is on the blitzkrieg. And the godly soul is barely, barely, barely in any type of defensive position. In this severe case, all three garments of the animal soul's expressions, thought, speech, and action, invest themselves and are manifest within him. Right? This guy is not just faltering in speech or only in action or only in thought and only in very minimal issues. This guy, you know, <laughs> the, whole, the whole body is under attack. The animal soul has lots and lots of successes. And there's uh, a lot of expression in this person. It makes him commit more serious sins, and he does so more often. Right? This guy, his animal soul, is successful at breaching every three minutes or every 60 seconds. This animal soul is having a field day over here. The godly soul barely has a standing chance. But this guy is also because he still has a godly soul, because he still has a divine soul, he also feels remorse. It's the constant tug of war. The animal soul succeeds in pushing through. The godly soul says, what have we just done? And we feel the remorse. But that remorse doesn't stop the next thing from happening. 10 seconds later, another onslaught, another weakness. This guy can't control it. His godly soul is too weak. The animal soul is taking too much control but he'll still feel remorse. And the remorse is very important. The remorse is what testifies to the fact that there's still a godly soul 
active in this person. So the guilt is very, is very important here. Let's continue reading. But between bouts of sin, he too experiences remorse. Thoughts of teshuva, thoughts of repentance, come to him from the good in his soul that manages to dominate somewhat at these times. Right? The animal soul attacks, the godly soul tries flexing, and that's where we feel that conscience. What did we just do? Okay, but this good, however, doesn't gain enough traction to win over the bad, to lead him to disconnect entirely from his sins, to face up to them and abandon them. This is the guy who feels bad, but he can't help himself. So he does it again. You know, this is a very validating statement over here. It's very validating. I'll tell you a little story. And I, I, if you, I've told the story before in the Tanya class and in other classes. So this is not in any way a new story or a new joke. It's a little bit of a joke, a little bit of a story, a little bit of a joke. But I want to bring out a point from this story. So the story goes, in some shtetl in Eastern Europe, small, little, sleepy, little village, there was a Jew, and his profession, his occupation, was he was a thief. He was called Moshe Daganov, Moshe Daganov, Moshe the thief. And everybody knew that he, uh, he makes a living by... Stealing from your living. <laughs> okay, listen. One year Yom Kippur. The fast is over. And uh, after a very inspiring 25 hours on the holiest day of the year, the rabbi is sitting in his office and he gets a knock. It's Moshe the Ganev. And Moshe the Ganev walks into the rabbi and says, Rabbi, this Yom Kippur was so inspiring. Your sermon was amazing. I want to do teshuva. I want to repent. I uh, stole from so many people this past year and I want to start over again. And Moshe, the God, takes out a sack, puts it on the rabbi's desk and says, Rabbi, here. This is, this is all the items I stole this past year. This watch belongs to Goldstein. This belongs to Cohen. This belongs to Lieberman. Everything takes out. And the rabbi is so touched, so overwhelmed by this beautiful display of, of repentance. He stands up. He embraces Moshe. He says, Moshe, you're such an inspiration. I'm sure God's going to forgive you. I'm so inspired. You want to start all over again. Clean slate. And the rabbi says, Moshe, you can leave the sack here. I promise you. I'm going to go tonight and deliver. It's like that tomorrow you can already start. Guilt-free. Start the new year beautifully. And the rabbi spends the next two hours. He goes from door to door, returning every single stolen object. And it's really late. The rabbi is so tired. He didn't sleep a whole Yom Kippur. He's worn out. And he looks at his wrist to see what time it is. You know, his golden watch is missing. My golden watch is missing. It, uh, it never falls off my hand. How could it be missing? He says, one second. Who is in my office tonight? Moshe the Ganav was in my was in my uh, was in my office. Could it be he did it? He just did tshuva. But who else would who else would take my watch? So the rabbi is so embarrassed to have to do this, but he sheepishly goes to Moshe the Ganav's house, knocks on the door, and says, "Moshe, I, I hate to do this to you after you just told me that you're doing tshuva, but I'm missing my gold watch. Is there any chance, perhaps, you have it?" 
And Moshe kind of uh, gets gets red in the face and says, "Yeah, yes, Rabbi. When we were meeting in your office, I, uh, you know, slipped it off your wrist." The rabbi says, "Moshe, I don't understand. <laughs> you just told me that you're doing tshuva. <laughs> you take my watch right then and there." So Moshe says, "Listen, Rabbi, tshuva is tshuva. Business is business." So oldie and a goodie, and I usually bring out the story to speak about the uh, the fallacy of cheap inspiration. That's usually what I use the story for. But I want to ask you a story. I want to ask. I want to ask you a question. Moshe felt remorse, and it was real. He really felt remorse. Is that real, or is it just a fake? Is that just, is that cheap? Is that worthless remorse? Sometimes we even use guilt as a crutch. Yeah, I do bad things. At least I feel guilty about it. It's like, it makes us feel good. It's like virtue signaling to yourself. You guys know what virtue signaling is? Right, like when you go write on Facebook, I condemn this act. You know, it's pretty stupid. It's called virtue signaling. You need to show people that I'm virtuous. Oh, I spoke out against this injustice. <laughs> so guilt is sometimes, we mock guilt as virtue signaling to yourself. Not authentic. If it was authentic, you would really be a new person. But tomorrow you're going to do the exact same thing. You know, imagine, imagine that husband who never takes out the garbage and his wife asks him, can you please, you forget too often, just before you leave to work, take out the garbage. And they come home from work and the garbage not taken out. So he says, my wife, I'm so, so sorry. But the next day, he forgets to do it again. And she's like, if you're really sorry, you'd probably remember to do it, right? So what's all your remorse worth? So usually we laugh at this type of fake remorse. <laughs> you feel bad? We all know that in five minutes, you'll be right back at it. The altar of it validates this remorse. And the altar says, sometimes a godly soul is not strong enough to stop you from doing it again. But it will feel bad about it. And the feeling bad is important. It's a testament to the good and holy conscience within you. So feeling bad is also an important thing. If you never felt bad, oh, that's dangerous. The feeling bad is where you could see clearly that there's still a healthy, godly soul. There's still a healthy, divine soul here at play. And this is why we say this Jewish guilt is important and has value. So let's read this. Right? Jewish guilt. It's about these types of people, the incomplete Russia, that the rabbis of blessed memory say, the wicked are full of regrets. The Russia. <laughs> the whole day they're feeling bad about what they did. They'll do it again. But they're always plagued by what they do. And these are the majority of Rashaim. They still have at minimum an aspect of good in, in their souls. They still have a healthy, divine soul within them. Maybe it's not fully healthy, but it's still vibrant, it's still active, and therefore they feel remorse. So the remorse is good. The remorse is good. If you don't feel any remorse, that's bad. If you don't feel any remorse, that means that your divine soul is uh, out of the game. You don't feel that ping of conscience. You don't even feel bad. 
It doesn't disturb your sleep even for a moment. It doesn't haunt your dreams at all. Nothing. Not even the slightest hang of guilt. That's not good. And that's what we call the complete Russia. The complete Russia is a very rare breed. And it's more of a theoretical concept. It's very extreme. Before we read, I want to tell it to you. The complete Russia is somebody whose animal soul has succeeded in beating up the divine soul so much that the divine soul is there, but is totally just paralyzed. And this guy never feels any ping from his divine soul. It's an animal soul in complete control, going rogue. And that's very weird. Not only it's weird, it's like kind of impossible, but at least at, on a theoretical level, we'll explore it. I doubt there's even one Jew alive which fits this description. A complete Russia? Your divine soul has nothing, nothing to fight with? That, that, it's hard to Rabbi, imagine. Rabbi, do, but wouldn't that be an evil person? An evil person never, never feels remorse, not even for a moment. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to find that somebody who's that cold-blooded. It's possible, but that even for one moment, you'll you you, you won't feel. Maybe I maybe maybe I should stop this. Maybe that remorse is not strong enough to make you change, but you won't even have that. You're such a sociopath. I guess that's what it would be. Somebody who has no conscience, so cold-blooded, so careless, so flippant. That's the complete Russia. You know, I'll tell you, I've been, I've been to prisons many, many times of people who've done bad, bad things. I've never seen a complete Russia in a prison. A Jew who's even murdered, but they have a godly soul. And you see it. They feel remorse about it today. Again, the remorse doesn't even have to stop them from doing it again tomorrow. Sometimes we're just not strong enough. But not feel anything? So let's read it. Bottom of page 102, part two, the complete Russia. Someone, however, who never experiences remorse and never has thoughts of teshuva at all, such a person is called a Russia who has bad, or the complete Russia. He's a Russia and it's all bad, no good, not even a little bit of good. In this case, the bad in his animal soul is all that remains consciously within him. It has become so dominant over the good that the good has left from being an active influence within him. Rather, it exists beyond him subconsciously in a transcendent sort of way from beyond. So this guy still has a divine soul, but at this point it's powerless. Now that he still has a chance, we could rehabilitate this guy. We could try to build back up this divine soul and start changing the tides a little bit. But as it stands now, this divine soul has lost any fighting chance. And again, this is a very rare breed. Last chapter, you spoke about how the complete tzaddik is very rare. 
So the complete rush is also very rare. To the point that it's a big question if such a guy ever even existed in history. To such an extreme, your divine soul is gone. You still have it. A Jew can never lose their soul. There's always a divine soul. But there is theoretically the idea of having a divine soul, which is so incapacitated that you have it, but it never really acts within you. Okay, but you always have it, which is how the author of it concludes. That is why the rabbi said, upon every group of 10 Jews, the Shekhinah rests, God's divine presence. For the divine soul never departs from a Jew. So ultimately, every Jew has a divine soul, a piece of God. And therefore, every Jew brings the presence of God with them, even if it's the most evil, the most wicked Jew. Um, but here, there we have it. Now we know what the Russia is. The Russia is a definition, is a term that helps us understand one category in this battle where the godly soul is faltering. Even the slightest level of faltering, you're a Russia. There's many different types of Russians. Now, let's just compare for a moment. You could have a guy who's Mr. Perfect. He looks like a tzaddik. He has such good self-control. Once a year he sins and it's only in his thought. No one even knows. Once a year for 10 seconds. And then you have a guy who's literally Mr. Go no goodnik and can barely control himself. The best that he has is that he feels remorse. How different are these two characters? And yet they're in the exact same category. They're both the incomplete Russia. So the, the, the title Russia is given to a very, very large spectrum of people. But the underlying concept of the Russia, the common denominator, is that the Russia is a person whose godly soul has lost some of its strength. That's the whole thing. Now, dear friends, one moment, Gil, one moment. I just want to say a point over here. I want to say this again. You know, there are certain books out there, certain Jewish books, especially from the school of the Musar movement. And in the Musar movement, one of the schools of thought of the Musar movement was specifically to um, generate spiritual growth by putting the person down, break the ego, crush your pride. And those books would literally be things that would break you and focus on how bad you are. And it's very, very, very negative. And that was one school of thought of how to help a person develop a deeper sensitivity to spiritual living by breaking the person and focusing on negativity. I don't want you to think that this is what this chapter is. This chapter is not here to tell you, oh, you're bad, you're a Russia. This is not a condemnation, right? We're not criticizing you. We're rather putting down definitions. We are diagnosing the situation. And, okay, once we know that this is the situation, we lose control. The animal soul is able to breach the defensive lines of the godly soul. That's not healthy. That's not good. There's room for growth. Health is called the Bainini. We'll learn about the Bainini, Bainini next week. 
The Tani is here to show us how we can build ourselves up. So let's stay focused and not get too lost. A lot of people get very depressed or a little, a little bit dejected when they read this chapter. Oh, I'm a Russia. I'm a no goodnik. The Tanya is telling I'm a bad person. No, no, no. Let's not get it right. Let's not overdo it. Yeah, it's important to, uh, to know honestly where we stand and to have that integrity and to be willing to face our strengths and weaknesses up front. And we'll work on it. We'll grow from there. The author will show us one step at a time the tips, the tricks, the techniques of being a better person, of building ourselves up. And uh, that's the goal. Try to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. That's the whole goal. There was once, I'll conclude with a little story. There was once uh, somebody who was in a private meeting with the Rebbe, not, not a religious person, and said, you know, I, uh, I, really, I really respect the Hasidim. You know, you, the, the Rebbe has really trained such, has raised such beautiful Hasidim. I'm not a Hasid, but, you know, I have tremendous, tremendous respect. And the Rebbe said, no, you could be a Hasid too. He's like, me? I'm not, a, I'm not religious. So the Rebbe said like this, listen to these words. The Rebbe said, anybody that wakes up in the morning and makes a commitment to be a little bit better than who they were yesterday, I am proud to consider such a person my husband. It's very beautiful. It's just a little commitment of being a little bit better. And that's that's exactly the spirit of Tanya. It's important to know that there, we have room to grow. We're dynamic people. And uh, let's look forward to better us tomorrow and a better us next week. Next week, chapter 12. And chapter 12, we're really off running. We'll learn about a Bainini, which is our aspiration. We'll learn about what a Bainini is and how do we get there. And dear friends, with that we conclude. I want to thank you all for joining. Have a wonderful evening and we'll see you all next week.